Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my words for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I know we have a lot of guests in our assembly this morning. I know we have a lot of family that have uh, come from other places to visit uh, family who are members here because of Mother's Day. We're grateful for that. If you're among that number who are guests with us this morning, thank you for being here. And if we haven't had the opportunity to uh, to speak to you personally yet and uh, greet you on a more personal level, we hope we'll have an opportunity to do that when our assembly is dismissed uh, in just a little bit. But we're glad that you're here. Think with me for just a moment about what all of the following people have in common. Think first of all about the farmer who has just come in to his house after 16 hours in the field. Think next with me about the trauma surgeon who has just finished his shift at the hospital and has dealt with a dozen or more major emergencies throughout the night. Think with me next about the roughneck or perhaps the refinery worker who has just come off of his shift. Think about the, the uh, student or the teacher who's just finishing finals week. Think about the mother who still has children at home. Pick a day. Pick an hour. What do you think all of these people have in common? They probably all are looking for some rest. Think with me about the Christian the Christian who has been fighting cancer. Perhaps she's been fighting it long and she's been fighting it hard. 
But the doctors have come and said there's nothing more that we can do. Think about another Christian. Perhaps not uh, fighting some particular uh, disease like cancer. But think of the Christian who has lived a long life, a full life. And perhaps she is well into her 90s. And she just realizes that she doesn't have long left in this world. I would suspect perhaps both of those people are looking for some rest. A different kind of rest, but rest nonetheless. You really don't have to be advanced in age to think about the heavenly rest. From day to day, from week to week, we all find ourselves in situations where we want some kind of of temporal rest, physical rest. But there are times, aren't there, when we look forward to what the writer of Hebrews describes in chapter 4, verse 9, as the rest that yet remains for the people of God. That's something that we can think about at any age. And it's especially helpful if we think about the rest that remains for us if we are in a position of, of struggle. In other words, if we're struggling perhaps with our faith, Maybe we're struggling through some difficult time in life that's really, that's really testing us. Isn't it good in situations like that to think about what is waiting for us when this life is over, whenever that time may be? That's really the focus of this section of the book of Hebrews, beginning in chapter 3, verse 7, and continuing really all the way through chapter 4. We're going to spend some time there this morning as we contemplate this idea of rest and the very real danger that exists that we might miss out on that. So the writer is wanting to warn his readers, certainly the original recipients of this letter, but us too, about the dangers of missing our reward. And in order to make sure that we don't miss that opportunity to rest, the writer is going to first of all make this point. We need to open up to God. We need to open up our hearts to Him and not harden our hearts against Him. He begins the section, chapter 3, verse 7, with the word, therefore, which of course tells us, you go back and pick up some context to see why he says therefore, because he's attaching whatever it is he's saying now to what he's just said. And what he had previously said, specifically in verse 6, he talked about the need that we have to hold fast. If we hold fast our confidence, if we hold fast that for which we hope, and because of the need to hold fast to that, He says, therefore, we must guard against hardening our hearts to the voice of God. 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as in the days of rebellion. And what the writer is about to do is give them a history lesson. Now remember, when you're studying Hebrews, remember the people to whom it was written originally. That it was written to Christians who were, uh, who were Jewish people ethnically. They were of Jewish background. They had uh, you know, the history of their people uh, and the history that they had under the law of Moses. But these were Jewish people who had not rejected the gospel of Jesus, but had embraced Him as their Messiah. And they had obeyed the gospel. And the writer is going to give them a lesson about their ancestors. And if they were at all familiar with the Old Testament, which I'm sure most of them were, they would have remembered these things as the writer gets into this, uh, this bit of their history. So he says, don't harden your hearts, verse 8, as in the rebellion, in the day of testing in the wilderness. So he's drawing their attention back to that period that we read about in the book of uh, uh, Numbers, uh, back when they were wandering around in the wilderness before they inherited the promised land, and they spent 40 years uh, in that deserted place as punishment for their lack of faith. And he draws our attention back to that time. And I want you to notice some of the descriptive terms that he uses to describe their ancestors. Let me call your attention to them. Incidentally, this section, verses 7 uh, through 11, is actually a, a quote, a quotation from the book of Psalms, from the 95th Psalm, verses 7 through 11. But here's what he says about them. During that time, they tested God, verse 9. They put God to the test. Verse 16, he'll use the word rebelled. They rebelled against God. Verse 17, those who sinned in the wilderness. Verse 18, he uses the word disobedient to describe them. Verse 19, they were unbelieving. They were without faith. So all of, those, all of those terms, testing God, disobedient, rebellion, sin, all of those things described how they acted toward God during that period. If we had time, we'd go back and look at some of these examples from the Old Testament itself. I'll, I'll just mention some of them in passing if you want to write them down if you're taking notes. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. It's where the people said, didn't we tell you, this is them talking to Moses, didn't we tell you that it was better to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in this wilderness? Here were people that were arguing to Moses, we want to go back and be slaves. Exodus 15, just three days removed from the, uh, the Red Sea crossing. Remember when, when, when God parted the Red Sea and created these huge walls of water on both sides that allowed His people to walk through on dry land that allowed them to escape from the pursuing Egyptian armies. And God performed that miracle there and, and gave them that, uh, that release, that freedom. Not three days after that event, we find in Exodus 15 verses 22 through 24, the people already complaining to God through Moses, about their circumstances. They complained about everything, just about. 
And so that was their character during that period. Constantly complaining, belly aching against God and against God's appointed leader, putting God to the test, rebellion, disobedience, sin. Now, what was the underlying cause of all that? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, hard hearts. They had allowed their hearts to become callous to God's instruction. He uses that term, hard hearts, in verse 8 of chapter 3. He'll use it again in chapter 4, verse 7. And it was because of their hardened disposition, their hard hearts, and the resultant complaining and rebellion that the writer says they were not allowed to enter the promised land because of that. That's chapter 3, verse number 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Alright, so in, in verse 7 of chapter 3 and continuing through the end of that chapter, that's what the writer's doing. He's calling their attention back to that period in, in their history, the period of their ancestors. And as I said earlier, if these folks were conversant at all with the law of Moses, with the Old Testament scriptures, and they probably were, no doubt, they would have understood and remembered all of that. They, they, would, have, they would have spent time in that text, going back, uh, you know, even from their childhood up, they would have known all of that. And so as the writer of Hebrews is getting deep into this history lesson, it may have been the case that some of his original readers began to think, well, that's all well and good, but what does that have to do with me? I remember all of that. I've read all of that. My mama taught me that from the time that I was a kid. I remember all, the, all of that history. I got it. I remember those passages. Now, what does that have to do with me? And as the writer is getting deep into that history lesson, he drops a bomb on them in chapter 3. Verse 12, when he says, you beware, beware lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in departing from the living God. See, the history lesson was not just a history lesson. It was a history lesson with a point. And the point was, just like your ancestors did long ago, you might do the same thing if you're not careful. They were not allowed to enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. Because they didn't trust God. Because they hardened their hearts to God. And because of that, rebelled against Him and all of that. He says, you need to be careful too because the same thing could happen to you. Well, who were these people? Well, we already identified them as Jewish Christians, but I want us to go deeper than that. Go back to the first part of chapter 3, specifically verse 1. Where the writer identified them as, first of all, holy brethren, brothers and sisters. These are holy people. And he identifies him further in chapter 3, verse 1, as those who are partakers of the heavenly calling. These were people who had not only understood God's call to them in Christ, but they had responded to it. They had become partakers of that to which they had been called through the gospel. 
holy brothers and sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling. And the writer of Hebrews says to those people, you need to be careful. Lest in your own heart there grows this unbelief that characterized your ancestors. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It is possible for us, if we're not careful, over time to develop the same kind of hardened heart that characterized them. That doesn't mean that you will develop it. Doesn't necessarily mean you have developed it. But it means it's possible to if we're not careful. Well, how does that happen? How can a person holy, a person who has become a, a partaker of that to which God had called them, how does, how does that kind of person end up ultimately having a heart that's hard? The writer tells you. Lest any of you be hardened, how? Through the deceitfulness of sin. That's how it happens. It's not that a person gets up one morning and then all of a sudden just says, you know what, I think I'm going to harden my heart today. I'm tired of being open to God. I'm tired of trying to, to do what He wants. I'm just going to harden my heart today from this point forward. People don't wake up and do that. Not holy brethren not partakers of the divine calling. So how does it happen? It happens through the deceitful nature of sin. Sin is deceitful. It promises things that it doesn't deliver. Jesus once referred to the deceitfulness of riches. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. He talked about the, the ground that was... Um, uh, you know, that was grown up with, with weeds and, and thorns and things that, that choke out the good plant. And he said some people have hearts that way that are, that are so cluttered. And they're cluttered by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. There are some things that promise more than they deliver. Material wealth can do that. The writer of Hebrews says sin in general can do that. You see, the promise of sin is that um, it's cheap, won't cost you much. Uh, the promise is that, um, uh, that it'll be quick, that it'll be convenient, and that... There won't be any problems. You see, when we're faced with temptation, that's what Satan wants us to believe about sin. But the reality is exactly the opposite. I read this, uh, I've read it in different places, so I don't know who to attribute the, the statement to. But I believe it's accurate. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Well, that's not what it promises. That's not what it that's not what it tries to convince you of, but that's the reality. Sin is deceitful. And if we allow ourselves to let our guard down and we're not vigilant in our own spiritual uh, lives where we're uh, 
attuned to what's going on around us and we're, we're involved in our own spiritual maturity, if we're not actively involved in our own relationship with God, we can fall prey to the deceitfulness of sin. And over time, our hearts become hardened to God and we stop hearing His voice. So beware, lest there be in any of you. Because the result in verse 1 of chapter 4 is this. Therefore, he says, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it or to have fallen short of it. So the writer, in kind of bringing this particular part to, uh, to a conclusion, helping them to know, here's what I'm driving at. He says, you need to be careful. Because the promise of entering God's rest is still there. In other words, we're not there yet. We haven't made it to the brink of the promised land. We haven't made it to heaven yet. And so the promise is still there. We haven't received it. And since the promise is still there, we need to be careful lest we fall short of that, just like they fell short of their promised land. That's what he gets into in chapter 4, verses 2 and following. Notice how he describes that. He says, you know what? We had gospel preached to us just like they had gospel preached to them. What does gospel mean? It means good news, right? They had good news preached to them just like we had. But why didn't it help them? He tells you, verse 2, because the message they heard was not united by faith in those who heard it. So they had, they had heard a message of good news. And there, the message he specifically has in mind for them had to do with the promised land. God had told them, this is what I'm going to give you. You just have to trust me. And I'm going to drive out the people. And I'm going to allow you to possess it. All you have to do is trust me and do what I tell you. And I'll give you the victory. God promised them. So they had heard the message. Hebrews writer says it didn't, it didn't benefit them. It didn't profit them. Because the message was not mixed with faith in the ones who heard the message. So it's more than just, it's more than just listening. It's more than just understanding. We have to couple the hearing of the message with faith in it. With trust in it. And in the God who gave it. And because they didn't have that faith, the good news didn't profit them. Now, his point is, here's the comparison. We have had good news preached to us just like they did. Now, our good news doesn't have anything to do with the land of Canaan itself. Our good news has to do with the rest that yet remains for the people of God. Hebrews 4, 9. That's heaven. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord that they may rest from their labors. Revelation 14, 13. That promise still remains. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't miss out on your chance to rest by having a faithless response to God's message like your ancestors did. You be careful so that you don't fall short of that. So what's the remedy? How do we guard against developing that unbelieving heart, that hardened heart? 
Let's look at the answer that he gives in the text. First of all, don't put off addressing your heart. Notice he says, chapter 3, verse 7, back there, back to that passage. He says, today. Today, if you'll hear his voice. There's an urgency. It's important to act now, to not put off addressing your heart condition. Then he says, verse 13 of chapter 3, open up to each other. He's been making the point, open up to God. Today, if you'll hear His voice, don't harden your heart to Him, open it up to Him. But also, he says, open your hearts to each other. Verse 13 of chapter 3, but exhort one another today. Exhort one another. Mutual edification is a vital part of the spiritual maturity and stamina that we need as Christians. And do it daily. While it is called today, he says, chapter 3, verse 13, we assemble once a week, first day of the week. We have a midweek service, Wednesday nights, that's twice. And those are important. You ever wonder if that's enough? If perhaps we need more encouragement than just what we receive on Sundays and Wednesdays, as important as those opportunities are? Here the writer was addressing people who are in such circumstances that they needed daily encouragement. We also need to be diligent. That's part of the prescription. Look at verse 11 of chapter 4. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort or example of disobedience. Be diligent to enter that rest. Chapter 4, verse 12, spend time in the Word of God, which is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even unto the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You want to help guard yourself against developing a hard heart, spend time in the Word of God that can show you what the contents of your heart are, that discerns the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. It can reveal to you what's there so that if there is something that you need to address, you can address it. You want to guard against a hard heart? Remember that God sees us and knows us. Chapter 4, verse 13, there is no creature that's not manifest, that's not made known, that's not open, visible in His sight. All things are naked and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. You want to guard against a hard heart? Make sure you always remember that God sees you wherever you are and He knows whatever you're doing. And remember, too, verses 14 through 16 of chapter 4, that we have a great high priest through whom we can approach our Father in prayer with boldness and confidence because of what He's done for us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. Don't miss out on the rest that yet remains. Why this exhortation? And why, incidentally, would the Apostle Paul say regarding the uh, events 
in the Old Testament specifically that had to do with Israel and how they responded to God. Why bring all of that up? Why would Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10 that those things are examples for us? Because sin is just as deceitful today as it was then. Because departing from God is just as possible today as it was then. Because we could miss out on heaven just like they missed out on the promised land. And that's why it's vital to encourage each other as often as we can to be strong, to be faithful, to remain true to God. And to not fall prey to the deceitfulness of sin. So where do you stand this morning? How's your heart today? Is it open to God? Are you listening to God's voice as He speaks to you from these inspired pages? Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Open them up to Him. Open them up to each other as we exhort and encourage each other to be faithful each day that we live. There may be someone in the assembly today who has come to understand what they must do in order to be saved. You may be someone who's understood from your study of the Word of God that you need to be immersed into Christ, be united with Him in the likeness of His death, to have your sins washed away by His blood. And if you understand that you need to do that, we encourage you to do it today. If you're not sure, if you realize that you know you need to do something and you're just not sure exactly what and why, if you'll let us know that today, we'll study the Word of God with you and help you to understand those things and help you to see it in your own copy of the Bible. There may be some in the assembly today who are already Christians, but maybe you need the prayers of your Christian family to be stronger, to be more open to the teaching of God's Word and allow it to guide your life each day. If that describes you and we can pray with you and for you today, will you let us know what your need is as we stand together and sing?